Oh my gosh, this is really awkward. Awkward. Pretty awkward. It's just all a little bit too awkward. Awkward. And also kind of proud of being awkward. Hashtag awkward. It was really awkward. Awkward. I have awkward vibes in me. A little bit awkward. Very awkward and clumsy. You are so awkward to be around. Pale, awkward young men. So awkward. <laughs> that was very awkward. Which makes things slightly awkward. It's awkward. Uh, that's what makes it a little awkward. Very awkward and very unnatural. I'm like a pretty awkward dude. It's an awkward conversation. Well, good morning, good morning, everybody. Guess what? It's going to be awkward. I am here. So it's probably going to be awkward, all right? It's good to see you this morning. My name is Remington. I'm the St. Pete campus pastor, and I'm excited to be with you no matter where you are, where, you know, whether you're in this room or you're you know, watching from home or you're in St. Pete or you're in Mishawaka. It's an amazing day because we're finishing up our series, Awkward Conversations. And I've loved this series because I kind of like things that are a little awkward. I like to be in those moments because it's fun to watch how we respond, right? Like when you're in those moments yourself, you really don't like it because you're like, this is a little awkward. But like, it's fun to watch people when they're feeling a little awkward, right? You get to actually see like who people are, what they believe, what they think. And today is a great day. And to start us all off, I want to do a quick survey. And here's what I want you to do. I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to raise your hand if it applies to you. So here we go. How many of you sweat a lot? Oh, see, some people, like, you get some people who, like, raise their hand really fast and they're proud. Yeah, I'm a sweater. I sweat. Other people are like, uh, yeah, like this, and then they're like, wait, what am I doing? Because they're thinking there's judgy people around them probably. Guess what? They are. They're like, we saw him, we saw her out at the last church event, and they thought it was a baptism. Somebody should have got him a towel. All right? But, like, you know, like, and then you're those people who are like, I would never, I would never tell people that I sweat a lot. That's embarrassing. Me? Guess what? You're in good company if you sweat a lot because I sweat a lot. It's terrible. Like, I just start sweating. I think, like, I sweat when I write. You know, like, I got to do this. Keep my arms up because it gets pretty roasty. I'll go to Buffalo Wild Wings. I'll order Parmesan garlic boneless wings. And I can't even get through the first wing. And I need to ask the server for more napkins so that I can dab my head. Because it's brutal. Because, like, let's be honest, bald brethren, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like, when you start to sweat, it's just down the face. Just right down the face. Just covers you. And, like... I mean, you, maybe you saw me. I went to Mishawaka for a while. We'd go out to those parks and rec events. I'd be talking to people about Crossroads, sweating it up. Driving church 2020 out there, you know, sweating heavy while parking a Chevy. That's what I did. You know, St. Pete. I mean, you guys know I wear pants down in St. Pete because I got to be respectable, right? That's professional. I'm a pastor, but I got my flip-flops. I got my short sleeve shirts. What people don't know is sometimes I sneak down to my office and sit in front of a little desk fan so, because I'm starting to overheat and I need to cool myself down. It's a problem. I'm already sweating. I can feel it right now. And I don't know about you, but some of you might be like, this is kind of awkward. He's talking about his hyperhidrosis a lot. <laughs> don't sweat it. I'm done. All right? Here's the thing. Like, we do, like, I do have this awkward thing where I feel like, you know, I'm sweating. And then I'm like, I'm gross. Like, I feel like I'm out of place. Like, people probably think I'm having a heart attack. And like, there are things like that in our life, right? Like, sweating is kind of trivial. Like, we can't really control it right? So I sweat. I'm embracing it. I'm leaning in. I'm being awkward and vulnerable with you this morning. But there are lots of other things in our lives that we feel awkward about, right? I mean, like relationships, whether that be at home or at work. Sometimes we feel awkward about the relationships that we have with people. Maybe it's because we like leave areas of our lives that we don't talk about with each other because we're scared that there could be some friction or some tension, 
or some conflict. So we feel awkward and everybody knows it. You know, have you ever been in a room where you could just feel the palpable awkwardness? Everybody's like, let's get out of here as quickly as we can. Maybe it's, maybe it's, you know, in your interactions with other people, you feel awkward because maybe you've got a history that you carry with you or maybe some baggage that you've brought along the way and you just feel kind of like you're out of place on your interactions with folks. And, you know, like we could go down the list of things that make people feel awkward because there's a lot of them. And like, we don't really like to talk about them, right? Because it makes us feel vulnerable because here's what I believe, and I believe that it's true. Like awkwardness, right, is that moment where our consciousness realizes that the facades that we've put up for ourselves or maybe that we've put up for other people aren't quite as perfect as we like to think they are. And we feel out of place and we feel awkward and we're not quite sure how to interact and how to, how to deal with this. I mean, we don't just experience that in relationships or maybe, you know, with our lives and how we carry certain things with us, but we also experience this in faith. I mean, Pastor Kevin Jack, who was here last week from Be Hope. Guys, give it up for Pastor Kevin Jack. He was amazing. I don't know about you, but like, he's a great partner to have. Like, you're probably wondering, where's Tim today? Tim is actually at Be Hope preaching to the Be Hope crowd. So that's pretty awesome that we have sister churches that are on mission and believing the same things as we are to connect people with God. It's an amazing thing. But like, just last week, he talked about an awkwardness in faith, right? about how Jesus came and literally raised someone from the dead. And like people were like, when's Jesus going to come? When's Jesus going to show up? When's God going to show who he is? And they had doubt. You see, that's the thing. If we look in scripture, we also see like if we're people who, you know, are interested in Christianity or like we're kind of testing it out or maybe we are followers of Christ, we realize that Jesus can also be awkward. It can get pretty awkward when we're talking about Jesus because what we find is that there is a problem of Jesus. There is a problem of Jesus. And we see it epitomized so well in Mark chapter 2. It's one of my favorite passages from when I was a little kid. I think I like it because it's got a lot of action in it. You know, I think I like it because it's got friends in it and they're determined to help their friend out. But here's how it begins. It says this, when Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon, the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. And while he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. You see, they couldn't bring him into Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Literally, they climbed up onto the roof of the building and dug a hole. And then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of the religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. Why? Because he'd been around them before. Plus, he's God in the form of man. He knew what they were thinking. And so he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Like what I'm doing? Why are you questioning what I'm doing in your hearts? Is it easier to say that the paralyzed man, to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or is it easier to say, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? And so Jesus says, I'm going to prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. So Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. 
And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. You see, this is typical Jesus. He shows up and he does this miraculous thing that everybody is just sitting there afterwards and going, what? And it creates a problem. It creates the problem of Jesus. Because in essence, what he's doing here is he doesn't do it once, but he says it twice. He says to the people, the crowd that's there, I am God. The man walks in, he forgives his sins. He knows the only person who can forgive sins is God. And he says, your sins are forgiven. And then he knows that people are judging him in the room. So what does he do? He says, watch, I'm God. Like, I am God, period. I'm going to double down on that statement. And he says, what's more crazy? The fact that I can forgive someone's sins here or the fact that I can make a paralyzed man walk? And everybody knows the answer to that, right? <laughs> and so what does he do? Get up, take your mat, and go. And everybody's standing there in awe. And it creates a problem for us. Because Jesus says, I am God. C.S. Lewis, I think, an author who many people know, you know, he's an author of faith, but many in the, in the religious world, in the secular world, know who he is. He said it this way. He said, these are the teachings. This is the teaching of either an egotistical maniac, someone who thinks a lot of himself and he's crazy, or an evil manipulator, somebody who's gaming everything and blowing smoke and mirrors, or it's God in the flesh. Maybe to put it a little more simply, he's either a liar, he's either a lunatic, or he's Lord. I mean, those are your options, right? He's either a liar, like he's not God, he's just saying he is. He's either a lunatic, he really believes he is and he's crazy, or he's Lord, he is God in the flesh. And you see, that's where we are today, right? Because it creates a problem for us, right? Because we're people, let's be honest. <laughs> we like when we can move goalposts. We like when we can be flexible. I mean, you only need to look at the world, right? And see that there are so many different options you can choose from. So many different religions. We've got Buddha, we've got Hindu, we've got Islam, we've got New Age, we've got Scientology, we've got atheism, we've got money, we've got capitalism, we've got communism, we've got socialism, we've got Republican, we've got Democrat, we've got independent. We have things that people build altars and temples to all over the place. You got a lot of options. And the beautiful part is we live in a world, right, that says things like, mm, it makes me cringe. It makes me cringe. You just speak your truth. That statement is a contradiction. It's truth. It's not relative. But we like to be able to say it. I can pick and choose from the buffet because it allows me to feel comfortable. It allows me to keep from feeling awkward. You see, there's a problem of Jesus. And what it leads us to do, right, because we've got all these options, it leads us to ask the question, what am I going to do with Jesus? What am I going to do about this Jesus? What am I going to do? Because I do, I've got a lot of different options that I can choose from. And like, I don't know about you, but I'm not a good person to make a decision when I've got a lot of options. Sometimes, contrary to how I might represent myself, I want people just to pick something for me because it's easier that way. Then I can complain about it if I don't like it, right? 
You know, you ever been in a car with people, you're driving along and you're like, where should we eat? I don't know. And like, you don't want to give any suggestions. You want them to give all the suggestion first so that you can like eliminate where you don't want to go to eat. Mm, yeah, let's not do that. Let's do that. That's a good idea. We love that. We like to be catered to. And see what happens is, is as we begin to look at this Jesus and try and decide what am I going to do about Jesus, we not only realize that there's a problem of Jesus where he says, I am God, but we realize there's a problem with Jesus too. Because part of him making that statement that he is God, he's basically saying, I have all authority over heaven and on earth. And not only do I have all authority over heaven and earth, but I actually am going to make something that this world doesn't really like. And I'm going to say, there's one way to the Father and it's through me. That's it. It's not an option. It's not take everything and I believe in everything. It's you either believe in me, he says, or you don't. Which when you think about it logically makes a lot of sense. Right? I mean, because if you believe in everything, you really believe in nothing. If you just nod your head at everything, you're probably not really processing through it. Jesus is saying, you either believe in me or you don't. And the thing is, like, I can go and, like, you want to academically have a discussion about it? I can give you facts about Jesus. I can give you facts about the Bible. I can tell you that literally there are more manuscripts about the Bible. Literally, like, written, the written word of God has been transcribed so many times throughout history, and its accuracy has never, like— never changed. Like, it's completely accurate when compared to the top 10 pieces of classical history and literature that are right behind it. Literally, you combine all those, and there's more documentation and manuscripts for the Bible than the other 10 combined. Or you could talk about how there are prophecies that are literally written in Scripture that occur hundreds of years later, and that there are books outside of the Bible that literally back up first-person accounts of things that happened. I mean, it's why it stood the test of time. It's why more people have followed Jesus than they followed any other person in all of human history. It's why our calendars, the way we go about living our lives, are organized around when Jesus lived and when Jesus died. He literally put his fingerprints on everything in this world. Like, we can go through those facts. But I don't want to prove Jesus to you, I want you to know who Jesus is. And knowing somebody and knowing about somebody are two different things. You could probably tell stats about me. I'm six foot one. I weigh 200 pounds. (laughs) But that doesn't mean you know me. Jesus wants you to know him. And so the question we really get to is, why Jesus? Like, why should I know this Jesus? And it's a great question, and he does an amazing job, Jesus does, in summing it up here in John. What he does is he tells us about himself, and he gives us a foundation with which we can build our life, and he gives us a fantastic philosophy with which we can live out our days and a worldview that guides every step of our life. And so I want to read this passage to you. It's in John, and it says, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. 
There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? Jesus says, I've got you. I'm preparing a place for you. I'm going. If it's not true, why would I have told you that? And when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. Now, there's Doubting Thomas, right? We've all heard of Doubting Thomas. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. But there's a disciple, his name is Thomas, and he's often known as Doubting Thomas because he doubts what people are saying, right? He has a hard time believing in Jesus. Last week's message would have been perfect for him. He would have been up here praising Jesus, getting saved again. You know, like Thomas says, no, we don't know, Lord. We don't know where you're going. We have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus told him, and this is the key. This, is, this sentence is the key. I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no one who can come to the Father except through me. See, this is the problem with Jesus. But the beautiful part about this passage is it doesn't just show us a problem. It actually shows us who Jesus is. The first thing we see from it is this. We see that to Jesus, it is personal. It is personal. He says, he is the way. He doesn't say, follow all these rules and you're going to get to heaven. Uh-uh. That's easy for us, right? Got a lot of box checkers in the room. Got a lot of box checkers watching at other campuses online. I like to mark off a list like anybody else. But the reality of it is, Jesus says, uh-uh. It's personal. He is the way. Jesus wants you to know him. He wants you to know him. He doesn't want you to just know about him. He doesn't want you to be able to have great facts so that you could talk about him. He wants you to actually know him. And you see, the funny part is, he wants you to know him because he already knows you. It says that he was there at the beginning, and in him, all things were created. Nothing was created without him. Everything was created through him. It was personal to him. He was there. And it says that you were made in the image of God. The imago Dei is what it says in Latin. And it's this embodiment, this ethos of who God is. Like you know the characteristics of God and they have been written on your very soul. And there's a unique quality to that. And we see that play out. Because let's be honest, there's a unique quality to you in all of your awkwardness and all of your joy and all of your pain and all of your adversity that you face. There will never, ever, ever again in all of human history ever be somebody like you. Do you live your life knowing that? Because sometimes I wake up and I forget it. And Jesus says, I want you to know me. Jesus wants you to know him. Because if you know him, you realize who you are. You see, the second thing you realize about Jesus is that it is profound. He is truth. It's true. There is no small t truth. You don't get to live out your truth. There's either truth or there isn't. And what Jesus is basically saying is here, not only do I want you to know me, but I want you to follow me. Jesus wants you to follow him. It's pretty straightforward. I mean, and why would I want to follow Jesus, right? I mean, let's, let's, <laughs> let's do the, uh, the personally beneficial, you know, discussion of why I should follow Jesus. Because it shows you who you are. 
It gives you your identity. I mean, we live in a culture today that is desperate for people to know their identity. We want to say every little specific detail about ourselves that separate us from other groups of people. And then we close ourselves into our tribes. And then we try and argue about who's better or who's got it worse or who's this. And Jesus is saying, ah, you're missing the point. You're building a temple. You're building an idol to a different God. Follow me, he's saying. And so he answers questions of life, key questions of life that we have. For instance, Jesus answers the question of my origin. It's true. It says in Genesis at the beginning that we were created and we were given dominion over everything. And he was there, a part of that creation. And so you're reminded, it's true, I am unique. There is no one like me. At the beginning of time, Jesus knew my name, which is just mind-blowing to me. Because some days I feel like I might not even know myself. And what you realize is your life, no matter where you've come from, no matter what your family status is, no matter what your socioeconomic status is, no matter what your gender is, no matter what your race is, no matter culturally where you came from, whether you think your life has been good up to this point or your life has been bad up to this point, the reality of it is the creator of the universe knows where you came from because he created you. A human being made in his image. It says when Jesus came to earth, he was crucified, he was dead and buried and rose from the grave. And when you follow him, you are adopted as his brother and sister in the family of God. It's personal and it's where you come from. That's a powerful thing. Do you believe it? I mean, Jesus also answers the question of my purpose, right? Because if you live your life in that way, you begin to see the world a little bit differently and you begin to strive after the things that Jesus strived after. You know, purpose is a funny thing. People are desperate for it. I mean, we live in a culture right now where literally there are people who will work hour upon hour upon hour and they'll burn themselves out for a job or for money or for status or whatever. And then we've got 100 million people right now, they say, that are able-bodied and and, and employable who got comfortable in a pandemic and they just want to sit at home. I mean, the irony, the bipolar swings are crazy. And the reality of it is they're both seeking a purpose and they're not finding it. Because when you follow Jesus, he gives you a purpose. He helps you see the world as he sees the world. He helps you be a helping hand to those in need, a smile to those who just need a pick-me-up. And the reality of it is you begin to realize that Jesus not only answers our questions of purpose, but he also answers our questions of morality. Because it's really easy to think, you know, well, the Bible gives us rules because it just wants us to follow rules, keep us in line. Or Jesus wants to protect us, which is why he gave us rules. We should follow him. That's a good idea. He's a good teacher. But the thing is, if you truly believe what I just said, the origin and the purpose is answered through the life of Jesus and who he is, then what you realize is not only are you unique and wonderfully made, but that everyone around you is created with a uniqueness that will be unlike any other ever again. That means the person who cut you off on the way to church this morning was made in the image of God. 
The coworker that you're just having a tough time with was made in the image of God. The relationship in your family that you haven't really mended for years is a person who was uniquely made in the image of God. And the reality of it is when something like that, when something like that is so unique, it's a treasure. And no wise person ever treats a treasure like trash. You see, when you follow Jesus, he answers the question of morality. You begin to see the world for what's just and what's unjust. And you're moved to reconcile it back to him. It's a powerful thing. You see, and that's the beautiful part about it is because when you get all into that, you realize you know where you're going because your destiny has an eternal significance. Jesus answers the question of your destiny. You're worried about where you're going? Shoot, I'm worried about what I'm going to eat for lunch. But Jesus says your life is so much more than those little decisions, those milestones where people come and celebrate you for a second and then they run away. No, no, no. It's the milestones like next week when we baptize people who are saying Jesus has changed my life and everybody claps together and we celebrate because there is eternal significance about it and that's what gives us joy. Not these fleeting things that are here today and gone tomorrow. It's the conversation that you have with a stranger that ends in a prayer because they're just having a bad day. It's the moment where you talk to somebody about who Jesus is and what he means to you, and you lead them to know him. You see, those are the powerful moments of our lives that you will look back on at the end of your day. It won't be if you got the extra overtime. It won't be if you hit the extra sports league up for your kid. It won't be if you reached the certain pinnacle at your job or you had all the comfort you could ever want. It'll be those sacred moments, those memories where you sit with family and friends and you say, remember that? And what you realize is when you see the world for what it is and you see your life for what it is, you realize that this Jesus guy, it is powerful. He, you, it is powerful. He is the life. We say around here, life and life to the fullest. And what Jesus is asking you to do, right, the way, the truth, and the life, what he's asking you to do is to trust him. He's asking you to trust him, to lean into this life that he's giving you, this blessing that he's given you, to experience the true fullness of God. And so the question I have for you this morning is this. I'm going to have two questions. And the first question is this. Do you know, follow, and trust Jesus? Do you know, follow, and trust Jesus? I mean, there's some of you probably in this room who are like, I don't think so. There's some of you in this room who are probably like, I think so. There's some of you in this room who are like, yes. Do you know, follow, and trust Jesus? It's a question that everybody has to ask. What are you going to do with this Jesus guy? He says he's God. He's showing it. He's doubling down, tripling down, quadrupling down. What do I believe? The second thing, if you're somebody in this room this morning who says, yes, I believe in Jesus, there's a second thing. And there's this passage in Matthew, and I love it because it basically just epitomizes who we're called to be as followers of Christ. It says this, Jesus came and he told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And teach these new disciples to obey all the commandments I've given you. 
And you can be sure of this. Be sure of this, right? The God who was there at the beginning of time, I am with you, he says, always, even to the end of the age. You see, my question for you is, if you say yes to Jesus, whether it happens today or it's happened before, like, who do you need to tell about Jesus? Because this calling, this faith that we have is not passive. We are not spectators in this world because we are unique and beautifully and wonderfully made and no one will ever be like us again. And that is a calling to live a life and a life to the fullest. Who do I need to tell about Jesus? If you would stand with me and just bow your heads for a second. And if you are somebody this morning who's never accepted Christ into your life, this is an awesome moment. You get to say yes to Jesus. And you're gonna have a moment here in a second where we're all gonna pray a prayer together. And it's gonna be a celebratory moment that we are gonna celebrate because what was once lost will be found. And if you're somebody today who's already accepted Christ, when we pray this prayer, my prayer for you is that there would be names that are etched on your heart of people who need to know Jesus. God didn't make you to be passive. He called you to a life and a life to the fullest. And so as we pray that prayer, my hope is that the meditations and the prayer of your heart would be thinking of those people. And from this place, every day this week and in the coming weeks, you would be praying that God would provide the opportunity to invite them to a life with Christ. If you would, look up wherever you are and let's pray this prayer together. Jesus, I need you. I believe you are the savior of the world, that you gave your life to forgive my sins, and that God raised you from the grave so that I could have eternal life. Thank you for loving me. I'm saying yes to you, Jesus. Come into my life. I will follow you. Amen. Father, you know the hearts of the people who have gathered with us today. No matter where they are, Lord, you are in all places at once. And Lord, you are speaking to hearts everywhere. Father, I ask that if somebody said yes to Jesus, that they would feel a relief, a celebration in their soul, knowing that they are walking with the creator of the universe who loves and knows them. And Father, I ask that these names that you've placed on people's hearts today, of those who they can share your story, your life, their lives with, that God, you would provide them opportunities to be able to do that. Father, we thank you for being a God who wants us to know, follow, and trust him. And we ask that we do that from this day forward. In your name we pray. Amen. You know, this morning is a great morning because people said yes to Jesus. So we need to celebrate that. And if you are somebody, if you are somebody who said yes to Jesus, we want you to head right out that door. Pastor Keith will be waiting for you. We've got a special gift for you guys. This is what we're about, connecting people with God. It's a great day. Let's finish out with some amazing songs. Give it up for the band and our tech team.